Hello, and welcome to the Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH Reading Radio. I'm the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop and your host, Candace Huber. This week, I'm talking to Margaret Wilkerson Sexton, author of The Revisioners. Born and raised in New Orleans, Margaret studied creative writing at Dartmouth College and Law at UC Berkeley. Her debut novel, A Kind of Freedom, was a 2017 National Book Award nominee, a New York Times Notable Book of 2017, and a New York Times Book Review Editor's Choice. Her work has been published in the New York Times Book Review, Oprah.com, Lenny Letter, the Massachusetts Review, Gray Sparrow Journal, and other publications. She currently lives in the Bay Area, California, with her family. Margaret's most recent book, The Revisioners, ties together women of different generations of the same family. It opens in 2017 with Ava, a mixed-race single mother who takes her child and moves in with her declining white grandmother who pays her for care. The other main character is Josephine, Ava's ancestor who escaped from slavery as a child to become a landowner and a matriarch. Welcome, Margaret. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about this book, The Revisioners, and about how these characters of Ava and Josephine came about. That's a good question. So Josephine, well, okay, I'll start from the beginning. I initially wanted to have um, two periods of time, so just two characters, one in each period. And one of the characters would have been Josephine um, as a little girl. She wouldn't have been Josephine at that time, though. I hadn't even thought of Josephine, but I knew I wanted to have a, a, a girl during slavery time on a plantation trying to escape. And then, and I wanted to explore her relationship with either or both her white slave mistress or her um, slave mistress's daughter. And and then I knew in present time I wanted to have um, one woman, uh, a thirty-ish year old black woman who was either going to be living with like a mother-in-law figure who was white. Uh, actually, that's what it was going to be. And. Um, and then I I got this vision of Josephine. There was a there was a, a part of the time when I was writing the book where it just wasn't vibing at all, and um, I took a break. And sometimes I do this. I, I'll just take a break and just kind of like have free floating ideas come to me, and I'll just like do little stories or not. Sometimes they're not even cohesive. Sometimes it's just um, it's just me writing. And um, that's when I I saw Josephine and she was on this farm and she was an older woman. And um, I think, I I think I, I don't even think I knew she was a former enslaved person actually at that time. But I, I thought this will just have to be a different book, even though I saw her, I I heard her voice so clearly and I saw her so clearly and her world so clearly. I thought this will just have to be another book, but um I was able to make it work so that she was um, that, so that she was the older version of the little girl I had envisioned earlier for the book, and it was perfect actually because I didn't want to do half of the book dedicated to a slave narrative. I just I just didn't think I had so much to say about that period of time that I wanted it to encompass half a book. So um, that's how Josephine came about. The Ava character came to me. In 2005, I, um, it, you know, she wasn't the Ava character at that time, but I knew that I wanted to have a story um, where this black woman would be interacting with some kind of white family member of some sort, 
and it would be um, hearkening back to uh, a period of time during slavery where there would there would be a similar relationship between a black girl and, as I said, um, either a white slave mistress or or the white slave mistress's daughter, and um, and that that character, the Ava character. So I knew that general idea that I wanted her to be fleshing out these issues with her with a with a white family member um, that would be reminiscent of slavery um, of, or dynamics during slavery. Um, so I knew that, but I didn't know who the character would be. And I struggled with that character so much. I think because she's, she's very close to me. Like, and this happened to me with my first book, A Kind of Freedom. The Jackie character is a little bit close to me because we're around the same age and we're both black women and, you know, we have semi-similar backgrounds. And so when I, when that happens, it's very difficult for me to um, to home in on who exactly the character is and to really hear the voice clearly. It's almost like their voice gets really confused with my own. And it's just very hard to channel, which I think is the is the way that I typically like to write the stories. And, um, and so I came up with, I don't know, maybe five incarnations of this Ava character, like, Seriously, there was one where she was married and um, she was a very privileged black woman and she was um, and her son was very privileged at this at this really fancy school. And um, he was going to have trouble with I don't know, maybe he was running with this crowd of white kids and maybe there was going to be a crime and he was going to be the only one who was punished for it. Like there was something like that. And then the and then the, the white family member ended up moving up, moving in with them. So it wasn't like Ava was going to another person's house. It was like the family member was moving in with them and totally disrupting their house. And, um, you know, it was the same sort of idea is that this person is, um, is, 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 you know, a symbol for older times and those dynamics are still present, but it, I just couldn't get the, the actual storyline right. I mean, I, I seriously struggled with this five times and, it got to the point where I said to my editor, let's just take Ava out and let's just do the the slavery period and the, um, and the 1924 period. And then we both laughed because we realized that that was essentially, you know, beloved, <laughs> and like, <laughs> which was not going to be the right road to go down to, um, to yeah, to, to try to emulate that. So um <clears throat> Because it's such a fine piece of work, so and it and it and it's enough on its own. But anyway, um, so yeah, so we fi- finally. I don't know. I just kept thinking about it and talking about it. My husband and I always talk about these storylines when I get to that point in the book where I'm struggling, and we'll just like for you know for weeks we'll just be talking about it nonstop. And I don't think he finds it as fascinating as I do, but he's a good sport. <laughs> and. Um, so we just kept talking about it. And finally I realized that um, Ava was going to be, I just basically, I took out every character that wasn't working. So we had, we had another son for Ava. Ava had a son named August and King was actually just a friend of August. So King was working and all the things with King were amazing, but August wasn't working for whatever reason. August just wasn't working. And so, um, I was like, let me just take out August. So then the husband wasn't working because she had a husband and his name was Jason. And um, I, I was like, all right, well, let's just see what happens if I take out Jason. So I took out Jason. I took out August. Um, and so now, you know, she, we we have this character. We have the mother. It was a mother-in-law character at first. 
but she's not married. So how is there a mother-in-law? So then I was like, well, what if it's her grandmother and she's biracial and she has this white grandmother? So then that was interesting. And then it's like, well, what if it's actually her moving into her grandmother's house? And, and, and that made it very interesting. Once I realized that she was moving into the grandmother's house and that the grandmother lived in this uptown mansion that could kind of be construed as haunted, that's when we really started rolling. I feel like that's when we were cooking with gas. And um, after that, it was pretty easy to figure the rest out. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me to hear the stories about how characters come about and to hear that, like, Ava had all these different iterations because I know it's just really I love cool. it, too, actually. And it's good for me to, like, talk about it because I forget. You know, you forget. Sometimes I'll come across old drafts and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's how it was supposed to be. I mean, there were so many drafts of this book. She She was, like, married to a guy she had gone to boarding school with. So at one point... I was like flashing back to the boarding school scenes, <laughs> which sounds so crazy now. It's like a totally different book. It, but, it is um, a totally different book. And so, yeah, that's just fascinating to me how the process sort of organically just comes together at some point, And then you have this amazing story. And I think that's really cool. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so let's talk about Josephine just a little bit because she is – like the sort of the main person in the book. And she is in her 70s when we first meet her. And she's built this like amazing community around her. And we we do get to see her as a little girl, like you said. Um, and the, the thread here is community, because even when she's an enslaved little girl, she has this community around her. Um, and they are, you know, planning escape and they're, you know, they, but she's, she's built this community too as an older woman. And I found that to be a really interesting sort of contrast to Ava, who tends to feel mm. alone a lot. Um, That's and a good point. So I was wondering um, about that contrast, one, if it was intentional, and two, what what makes community so important here, especially in relation mm. to that contrast? Yeah, that's really interesting, huh? Wow, no one's ever asked that, and that's a very good question. Oh wow! So okay, cool. yeah, yeah. So it wasn't intentional for me to not have Ava have a strong community. It wasn't consciously intentional, but but as I'm thinking about it, it wouldn't have her character and the situation she found herself in wouldn't have worked if she had a strong community. And that speaks to the importance of community. Like I think about my, um, my relatives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who truly, you know, when they go somewhere, they go in, in tens, you know, they don't just go to the store by themselves. They're always going to take a sister or two sisters, or they're going to go with an aunt, you know, and it's, they just move that way. They just move in groups. And um, I, I was an only child, and um, I just, I, I did have a strong community when I lived in, a strong community of family when I lived in New Orleans. We all lived within, like, you know, a few miles of each other, and we were always together. But um, but once my family started dispersing across the country, um, you know, I've built a community of friends and um, and and some family here in Oakland, but it's not like, it's not like my family in Baton Rouge where they truly do everything together. And I, and I, I think it's interesting because um, while I do feel like my life is balanced, I think Ava wouldn't have found herself in the situation she was in if she had had those ties to rely on, because I think those ties are like reminders. They're like, 
they're, they're constantly reinforcing who you are. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing, because I think some people feel bound by the family that they are surrounded by. Like they can't, they can't, you know, they feel limited. They feel like they can't go beyond the reach of what their family envisions for them. And I think, but I also think in a healthy, in a healthy and functional community, um, it's a reminder of who you actually are at your best, you know? And I think if Ava had had that, I don't know that she would have found herself living in that woman's house, living in Martha's house under the condition she was living in. I, I think she would have been too reminded of who she actually was and how powerful she actually was earlier on in the process. You know, yes. um, it's the community that gets her out. It's the community that enables her to actually um, blossom and, and, and go back to herself. And so I think, um, I think that's the importance of it. And you see in Josephine's sections, these people are going through the most tragic circumstances, but you always, I always have a feeling with Josephine. I don't worry about Josephine. You know, that's not somebody I would worry about because she, well, she has this power within herself that's also maintained by the support of the people around her. Right. And I, I just thought that was just so interesting to me because Ava, um, you know, she doesn't have community at the beginning and then it sort of builds. And Josephine has always sort of had this community um, or different types of communities around her. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I just I found that to be really strong, the just the sense of community in, in the book. And another dichotomy yeah. that I um, that I notice in the book as well is that it deals with this idea of intergenerational trauma, which is really prominent, but it also deals with the idea that we can get strength and power from our ancestors as well. Yeah. And so it's, you know, trauma yeah. is passed down, but so are all of these good things. Um, and right. so I, exactly. I wanted to ask you about that as well and, and that, that dichotomy of this, this trauma versus all these other power and strength yeah. that we get as well. Yeah, well, it's interesting. My first book, A Kind of Freedom, is about three generations of a New Orleans family and expands World War II to post-Katrina. And... Um, my intention with that book was to show how the trauma of racism trickles down through generations. And so we have a really polished woman in the forties who's relatively sheltered from racism despite the time period. Um, and despite the fact that she's living in Jim Crow and, um, and then as the generations move forward, as uh, you know, as we, as we are introduced to her daughter in, in the eighties, who's in her thirties at that time, um, we see that the family stability starts to regress. And, um, and the point there was to show that, yes, Jim Crow is abolished, but we have systems like the war on drugs and mass incarceration that have come in to take the place and do the work of, of um, those older systems. And um, so the point was to show this, this, descent, this, this uh, decline. And um, in this book, I just wanted to be more hopeful. I just wanted to show that, yeah, you know, in some ways, things haven't changed. And of course, we're inheriting the trauma of the country and, and the sins of the country. And um, the effects of racism are, are, you know, obviously still ever present. But we also have such resources in our ancestors and their abilities to uh, survive despite everything they encountered. And, you know, what happens to all that? I, I just, I just wondered, like, 
you know, I, I, I feel like there's a pool of resources that so many of us, including myself at sometimes, aren't tapping into. And, you know, they, they accumulated all this wealth of, of strength and knowledge and wisdom and power and where is it going and, and how do we tap into it? And that's kind of what I wanted to explore with this book. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool that it was like, okay, there was there was hope here too and that, you know, that our ancestors went through some stuff and we can we can take something from that as well. Right, right. And another thing that I, I wanted to ask you about was with, with Josephine, when she's a child, there's this community and they call themselves the Revisioners, which is where the title of your book comes from. And they do these rituals where they have these powers and these powers sort of stay with Josephine throughout her life. And I'm wondering, why did you give her these powers and where did that idea come from? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's see. The revisioners came to me. That was another situation where I was actually doing like this free floating exercise. And, um, and because, well, I was working on another book before this one. It was a book about a black, black kids at a boarding school. And, um, I was, the book wasn't working. So I was taking a break from that book and I was just kind of playing around with whatever came to me. And I, I got this idea about these enslaved people on a plantation who were who were using this lottery system to decide who was going to be able to flee. And the way they were going to help each other flee wasn't through these typical concrete ways. It was more through the power of their minds and the power of their spirits. And I, that just came to me. I wasn't I didn't like think about crafting that. It wasn't something I was like, you know, brainstorming ideas about. And um, and so. And so, so that, so there was that. And then when, so that may have come before the actual older Josephine section. It did actually. So the older Josephine section came to me then. And this woman on this farm, I knew she was so powerful. You know, I knew she just, she had gone through so much, but she was so powerful. She's that kind of matriarchal woman. And um, it made sense that the, that the power would be of a spiritual sort because it's 1924. So, you know, physically, she would have been extremely restricted in terms of her rights and her ability to exercise her power. So um, it made sense to me that the power would be more spiritual and, and um, that it would come out in those sorts of supernatural ways. Um, it made sense to me that she would be able to, for instance, um, help people give birth. Like, you know, you think about these very, like, um, obscure powers that that black women were yielding at this time because they really didn't have otherwise they wouldn't have had the freedom to exercise the more typical ones so she could help people have babies you know maybe she was the only one on the farm who could do that or maybe she was the, maybe her mother was the only one on the plantation who could do that um you know she was capable of cooking these amazing amazing meals you know she had these she had these powers that were just um you know, not as commonly seen, but, um, but we're equally, equally potent. And, um, and yes, yeah, so it made sense when I, when I had the vision of the revisioners and I, and I saw this lady on the farm, it made sense that, um, that those powers would be merged. Yeah, and I just thought that was really cool um, that it thank you that it sort of stays thank with you. her and she has these powers and you know that it is you know to me that sort of mind magic that spiritual magic is is real you know it's something that we can harness and um, I thought that that was really 
cool how you did that with her um, and how they, they sort of manifest throughout the book. Thank you. Do you think that's you being from New Orleans that you think is, that you think is real, you know, realish, you know, something we can tap into? Or do you think that's just a personal thing? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think definitely being from New Orleans and, and my, you know, my whole family having been here for a long time, I think there's definitely at least some of that, (laughs) that just being here, you know, it's, it's just uh, part of the city in a lot of ways. It's, it's like just part of the fabric of the city, this sort of spiritual um, kind of stuff. And, you know, I just think that too, it's just the way that I was raised and my family is Mm. that way, um, Mm -hmm. is all about, you know, harnessing your power and, um, in, in different ways. And I, it's, it's always been empowering to me. Um, and I don't see that in books a lot. And so it was really cool to, you know, usually when it comes out, it's in, you know, like superhero ways or, you know, sci-fi fantasy, but I don't see it in this realistic way in which you portray it. And, um, and so that was really cool. And it, it meant something to me as somebody who is, you know, who believes in this sort of harnessing of power that you would use that in this way. Thank you. I really appreciate that because um, I feel the same way. Like, I feel like it's something I want to see in books more. I love Octavia Butler and I love, um, there are so many other authors who are, who have worked similar to hers and I love it, but it's not, you know, it's not as common as you said, to see it applied in realistic ways. And for me, um, it's so realistic and people will ask like, how did you, how did you make it seem so real? Like it was never like a far-fetched thing. And I think that's because, as as you said, I think it's because I don't think of it as far-fetched. It truly is woven into the fabric of my life. And so when I was portraying it in these characters, I was able to just, um, to just treat it that way. You know, it was just like, almost like, you know, if, if they, you know, like to go to the movies or whatever their hobby was or whatever their passion was, it, it's just like, it was very, um, it was very natural. It was very natural. Yeah. And it felt really natural. And that was, that oh, was cool. Oh, well, thank you. I, <laughs> I appreciate that. And another thing I was wondering, um, because, you know, most of the book takes place um, in, in the past. So I was wondering how much research you had to do um, about these times and how that research affected you when you were reading about all of these things from the 1800s mm. and the 1920s. That's a good question. Um, you know, that's a really good question. Um, the, so I always start out um, doing very minimal research. I do enough research to write a first draft so that it's, you know, readable. And and that's kind of it because I don't love research. That was the reason I stopped practicing law, actually. And it's, it's very odd to me that I ended up writing historical fiction because I really don't like research. I thought I didn't at least, but I keep being drawn to it. But anyway... So um, so I, I start out doing a very minimal amount of research. I write the first draft, and then it becomes clear when I'm reading the first draft where the holes are. And so then I do enormous amounts of research based on these holes, but it's not like broad stroke research about a time period. It's really just based on these specific questions I have that, you know, where, where, there, um, where there needs to be filler in the book. And so what it ends up being really is mostly – it's research about, you know, what was it like maintaining a farm or um, what were they wearing or, um, you know, what were the schools like at that time? Um, what would the escape from the plantation have looked like? You know, what did the plantation look like? A lot of it ends up being so uh, concrete, you know, it's, 
it's not like I, I did have to do research on lynchings and I did have to do some research on chain gangs. Um, I did do research on the manner of slavery in New Orleans to the extent it differed from other places. But for the most part, you know, it was it was more about like pretty non-triggering issues. You know, it was really just like concrete, basic logistical stuff. It was it was logistical stuff. So um, to that extent, it wasn't it's not it wasn't, you know, I didn't suffer from the research. I didn't read it and think, oh, my gosh, I didn't know about this. Um, because the only things I was really learning about were the logistical pieces. I already knew about lynchings. It's not like I read about them and thought, oh my gosh, they really were lynching these people. You know, I knew right. that, that that was happening. So, um, yeah, it, and that's a good thing, I think. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I'm starting to question, like, I'm going through this situation right now, um, and I'm not going to get into the details of it, but with my with my son in his school, and I just read The Revisioners again. Before, I, I never do that. I never read my own stuff after it's published because I feel like there's no upside typically. Right. But I ended up reading it again um, for various reasons. And I'm almost feeling like I'm living in this parallel world because it's like I, I, I feel like reading it is more of a trigger than the research. I feel like... Mm. I feel like it's actually happening again or like, and so, and so going through a similar issue with my son right now, it's, I mean, vaguely similar to what might've been happening with King. I'm like, I don't know. It it feels very triggering. It feels doubly triggering because I just read about this. I feel like almost like, didn't this, didn't this already happen? Like, that's what it feels like. It's like, didn't this already happen? So it's almost like reading my work, is more and writing it and being entrenched in the writing of it is more triggering than the research. It's not the research. And that, that makes sense to me because I guess you, when you're, when you're writing it and when you're reading it is when the emotions sort of come out when you're researching, it's much more like business. If that that makes any sense. So it would make sense to me that, you know, as your emotions come out that, you know, and, and rereading something and feeling like you already went through it because you wrote this book and you did go through it emotionally already. Um, it makes sense to me. So uh, tell us about what you're currently reading. Are you reading anything good? No, I'm in this desert. I've been telling, I've been telling people. I had an interview yesterday, and I said the same thing. I'm actually not, but I'll tell you what I'm going to read. I'll tell you what's on sure. deck for me. Um, such a fun age. I'm excited to read that. Um, and let me just look at the book. I just, um, I'm just going to look at this. Is, is it a long bright river? Yeah, long bright river. I'm excited about that. I'm actually maybe going to read that one first um but just because it feels like it'll be less um personally triggering and I just want something I can just kind of zone out with sure um have you read either of those no I have not okay there I think I know such a fun age came out December 31st um Long Bright River is probably also very new but um yeah I'm excited to read I'm excited to read those I need to get back into it the last book Let's see the last book I read that was actually um, fiction because I read a lot of stuff that's not fiction. Um, it's been a while. Like, seriously. I mean, it's been like, a, oh, I think maybe the last book I read was The Other Americans. And that was maybe two months ago. I haven't really been, which is very unusual for me, but I haven't really been reading fiction. I've just been reading nonfiction. And I'm not sure why that is. 
no matter I, what. I think it. we all go through our sort of phases of, of reading and what, yeah. what we're reading and cycles and um yeah. and that's totally fine. Yeah. What is the best nonfiction book you've read recently? The Yellow House. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And um so tell us what's up next for you. What are you working on now? What can we look forward to from you? Um, let's see. I am working on this. It started out as a linked short story collection, but I think now it's become a book, a novel. And um, and it's about the relationship between these two cousins and how the evolution of their relationship contributes to the evolution of their whole family. Um, so we get into their ancestors, we get into their parents and their relationship, and they all sort of... Um, flow from the the uh the healing work that these cousins do with each other well that sounds really cool thank you <laughs> it's, it's a little different I mean it's like I'm not doing that much research I'm like oh this is so different it's very present day most of it is present day um it's going to have the same sort of themes but it's it's not like a kind of freedom and it's not like the revisioner in terms of the historical fiction piece not at all so it's interesting. We'll see. My next project after that is going to be more research-based, and that's kind of what I feel more comfortable with. Sure. For whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it'll be cool to see something a little bit different from you. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Looking you're right. forward you're to right. that. And, Thank um, you. And where can people find you and your work if they want to see or hear more about it? Oh, well, um, on Twitter I'm at mwalkers13 and um, I'm in Walker 13 also on Instagram. Um, my Facebook is Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. And my website is MargaretWilkersonSexton.com. Nice. So definitely go and check out more from Margaret. Her first book, A Kind of Freedom, which we didn't um, talk about too much, but it was also amazing. So just go read thank anything you. you can find. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, I, this thank was you. So it was fascinating. lovely to chat. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> and um, I think that's pretty much it. So thank okay, you and perfect. have a good day and enjoy thank the you. rest okay, of your you coffee. Thank you. And I hope we <laughs> speak again at some point. I'm sure we will. For sure. I'll be around at the Tennessee Williams Festival, which I think you are usually there. You know, well. I'm actually not coming Oh, this you're year. not going to be there. Okay. No, um, I, I'll probably be there next year, but I'm not coming this year. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, then, but I'm um, going to this library event in Baton Rouge on March 21st. Ah, it's my birthday. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's my cousin's birthday, too. Cool. Um, yeah, but I don't know the details of that yet, but I'll post about that when that becomes. You probably don't want to spend your birthday at a um, library event in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge. Who knows? I love books and, and libraries, so maybe. <laughs> okay, so maybe you do. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, okay. and you have a good day. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Margaret Wilkerson Sexton, author of The Revisioners. You've been listening to The Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH. You can catch this show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and again on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This show and all of WRBH's programs can be found on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Podcasts. I'm Candace Huber. Thanks for listening. Until next time.